1: Hello and welcome to the Naked Professor's podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about real, vulnerable, deep things. We do. And today is no exception at all. This was very
2: special. Uh, we talked today with a guy that comes from a very masculine industry environment, a sporting world, and it was it was a moment in this in this podcast where I went wow, this is what it's all about for us. This is somebody that's come on here and has bared their soul and has shared something they've never shared with somebody before and it liberated them and I hope it can liberate you today, guys, who, who are listening.
1: Jim was vulnerable from the web go because he freely admitted he turned up, he's passionate about mental health, but he doesn't really know. You know, he's yeah. never, no one's ever educated. Why he? Why would he know? But he came on and just had an open conversation with us. And I think he shared, again, he shared things that he's never said before and powerful things. I actually thought there might have been a tear in his eye at one point. I really didn't. I was like, wow, there's so much emotion in this room. And to do that just with with two guys uh, was amazing. I absolutely loved that conversation. And of course, we're talking
2: about Jim Hamilton, uh, international rugby player, uh, recently retired, has a wonderfully successful podcast himself. And um, he, for me,
1: Epitomize what we're trying to do. One thing that we should say to everyone, because you can't see it when you're listening, but Jim's six foot eight. He's a monster. He's full of tattoos. He is the alpha man. You know, you're, you're creating the stereotype of an alpha man. There he is in Jim Hamilton. But for him to show us his heart was incredible and it meant so much coming from a man like that.
2: Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Jim Hamilton.
1: Hello, everyone. And today is a very special guest. We've got one of the biggest men. We could possibly fit in this studio we've got an alpha man, someone who um we're going to try and strip away that masculinity that macho man, and we're going to try and get beneath it a little bit and get get into the, the perhaps a little bit more of the sensitivity of of this macho man and um yeah, we'll get into it we're welcoming today the massive, huge <laughs> Jim Hamilton yay. Thank you very much. I mean, that was a great intro. Was it yeah. macho, Massive. alpha, yeah,
3: muscly, athletic? I, I, I heard them words. I didn't say muscly. Oh, sorry. sorry. I
2: I heard sensitive.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sensitive soul. We yeah. get into that, but thanks for having me. No, I'm, really just, no. I'm just looking round the studio yeah. here, and we've got the Naked Professor a montage. We've got three TVs with it on, with mm-hmm. with, and I can see. Two very nice backsides, two bums well, that, that look great. Well, with three
2: screens, it's six bottoms. Yes. You, you are
3: spoiled today. <laughs> yeah. So, look at it. I mean, do you fancy doing that with us? If you can airbrush me like you've been airbrushed, yes, <laughs> definitely. Have you been airbrushed there no, or I not? just had
2: to get the tattoo of the top of my bum taken off. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Falaraki <laughs> <don't>... 2001, baby. <laughs> really? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he was worth it, though. Um, Jim, thank you so much for popping along. We know you're a very busy man with your own podcast. Um, you can give us some tips about podcasts in a second. <laughs> uh, we're here, we talk about mental health. We've, uh, we've had some wonderful guests on this show. Um, Davina McCall, um, one of your friends, maybe Craig White. Um, that you've worked with, I think, in the past. Yeah. Uh, now he works in the, in the world of mental health. And the big topic for us is, is usually ma- male masculinity. And, and you're a fantastic person for this, because from what I have known of you on your social medias and listening to your podcast as well, you are a, um, the, the typical rugby lad, um, lad's lad, man's man. Um, but you do have a, a, an open side to you, another level, a, a, a certain depth to you as well. Is that fair to say?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, From the outside looking in, I Mm -hmm. mean, for me to say that is something that I've probably not come out and said myself, you know, that I am open, I'm trying to raise awareness for this kind of thing. I think it's probably been a little bit more organic. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, there's more and more around mental health conversation being had. And like you mentioned, I'm in the podcasting world Mm. and we've had a couple of players come on the podcast and speak about mental health. And that's kind of Not triggered something, but it's kind of made me think about more of my mental health and think about the past and think about the future and being the age that I am. And we were Mm. talking about ages just before. With the same age. With the same age. Pretty
2: much identical. November the 17th and November the 18th, 1982. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can relate to a lot of um, things then, having the same kind of influences as as we were growing up. Yeah. So would you say that you're uh, a modern man?
3: I don't know It's probably the answer. I, I, I don't, because it is all very different now, isn't it? I think that I want, I want or wanted to be an old school man, an alpha man. And, and I'm a dad, I've got four children and the, our house is set up in the fact that my wife stays at home and I go out to work. You know, the old school, I'll go out, collect the wood, get the fish, go hunting. Mm. And I quite liked, liked, you see how I said that, or that. That 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 kind of way that, that role. we, that, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, that role and, and and how we lived, but things are changing. I don't think I'm thinking completely on the opposite side. I couldn't stay at home and look after the kids all day, but I'd say that as it stands, I probably am in your typical mold of a, a kind of alpha male, you know, dad, husband, and, yeah. and man. I think you know, having played sport, having played rugby, a very macho, ma- masculine sport, and then yeah i think my dad was in the military for years and kind of t- took on that role uh but i think it is changing for the better that's what i think i've got two daughters amongst the the, the brood of four and i think it's changing for, for the better but it's definitely got me thinking about who am i
1: what direction i'm going in and where the world's going when think- you say it has got you thinking what do you mean by that why why wh- what what's what's kind of got you thinking what, what what's made you become more aware perhaps of who you are and where you want to go and and has that changed since you left the sport um it is a difficult question still
3: that I don't know the answer to mm. um I think it's more you know actually my wife's dad who's an old school kind of man if you like you know he's in his in his 70 he might be 70 now you know owned his own business and my wife's mum stayed at home and looked after the kids and did nothing else and it's kind of, I look at my wife now and think, is that an existence where we're going to look back when I'm 50, when I'm 60, 70 years old, <coughs> that we're happy with, you know, that, she, that she's potentially not gone and done what she wants to do. And it's all been about me going out for work, having these experiences, traveling around the world. So we, you know, but we are quite open in our household. We talk about them things. It's not a case of, I just walk out the door. And it's like right. Make sure the dinners on when I get home. I might not be home. I'll be, I'll be down in the pub with the lads. It isn't that I have a lot of respect for my wife and want her to make sure that she's enjoying what she's doing, and also that my daughters, you know, and, and my two boys, they see that mum has a worth, a self worth, um, a life outside of just being mum. So you know that's where I am now. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're I'm kind of new into this. I mean, I've only been retired from from rugby for. You know it's not even maybe eighteen
1: months now it, would you say since leaving rugby, your relationship's changed a little bit and the, is there any part of you that can show a bit more love and you can be a bit more sort of a bit deeper with her because you don't need to be that macho rugby player anymore you can be her husband a bit was it did you have to play a role at all? Is there any aspect of that um not really, I think you know again,
3: like I'm quite open like me and my wife like we do talk a lot, and I've always been a guy that has spoken a lot i mean not as much on social media as I had now, and I didn't have a po- a voice doing the podcast before. But, you know, my wife probably saw, or she's seen, the best of me and the worst of me, you know, in terms of the pressures of playing sport, uh, pressures of performing, the pressures of being injured, you know, having the kids and, and being very emotional around that. You know, my relationship with my father that I never had. So my wife has seen parts of me that it's not as if, You know, I'd come home one day and it's all of a sudden I've retired and I'm a changed person. So she's seen parts of me that the world probably hasn't, well, not probably hasn't, that definitely hasn't. Mm. And I think that that's quite good. So you know, on that on that stance, we're you know we are in a good place. And now I have retired. There has more mental parts to that than physical. So normally I'd go home and physically from a game, I'd be I'd be battered. Now I'll go home and say, you know, it's been tough today. Just you know, I've been travelling on my own. You know, it's been six hours travelling on my own, and and you know, you might want to get into that. We can talk about it. But having played sport for so many years and the routine that everyone speaks about, uh, that regimented lifestyle, the game at the end of the week. Initially, when I was coming to retirement, I wanted that to end. Uh, I'd had enough. I'd had enough of routine. I'd had enough of being told what to do. You know, now I'm eighteen months in. It's kind of like I do miss a little bit of the routine. So my Conversations with my wife are, oh, yeah, it's been, yeah, struggle, been on my own a lot today. And as opposed to going home and saying, oh, you know, I'm battered, or she can see I've got a black eye and I've had my head stitched up and stuff like that. So. Mm. Yeah, so we do, you know, I do talk to my wife, not many other people, about stuff like that, and and you two now. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: you talking about it will help a lot of people because obviously um, the conversation around mental health needs to be de-stigmatised by by guys just getting together talking about it, which is why we're doing this. Um, But interestingly, I'm fascinated by the world of what it is to be a sportsman and equally fascinated by what it is uh, to be a sportsman that is retired by the age of 35 because it's like one chapter of your life coming to an end. And and, and you said it just then. You look forward to it. You, you're done with it. You've been doing the same thing for years and years and years. And then to go from... Having everybody you know all around you, that kind of camaraderie, sportsmanship, that um, start, middle, and end to your week. Like you, you, the the pinnacle is the game or a tournament, that comes to an end. So, um, was there any kind of um, help from the club that you had? Uh, Saracens was your last club. Yeah. Was there any kind of help with your? What are you What are you going to do after retirement? Did you plan for that afterwards? So, it's, a, it's a big life change. Isn't yeah, it, it is a
3: big life change, and and I was very conscious. You know, I didn't come from a background where, not that people that play rugby are spoon fed, is what I was going to say. Mm. I, you know, so I was very proactive in what I did. I wasn't well educated. Um, I came from quite a tough background, and I was conscious again that I had children that I needed to provide for, and I was very proactive in what I did. I would, you know, at the end of my last two, two, two seasons. I didn't know it was going to be my last two seasons until, until the last season, but I was very proactive in what I did. I said yes to everything, but that had its struggles in itself because I was having to balance playing professional sport and through fault rather than design, I played the majority of the games at the end of my career at Saracens when you know your headline players like Maru Otoji and George Cruz suffered with injury. So that probably shouldn't have been the case for me. So I had the added pressure of performing, Whilst also transitioning, and to answer your first question, Saracens are one of the best clubs in terms of helping their players, but it is quite superficial. I think that sports teams know they have to help players because mm. they're in a dangerous part of their life, aren't they? Like you said, you, you're going from, you know, some people a global superstar or a professional athlete. Of you're a somebody, you know, you're on the big stage and you're out there playing. You're on TV and. You know, if you're a single lad, you know, you, you, you've you got the girls at your feet, you're driving the fast cars or you haven't got to worry financially and then you're coming in and everything ends. And, again, I've been quite good, I suppose, in rationalising them things and thinking about them things deeply. And I've gone back and forth as well in terms of how much I actually like playing rugby. I know that sounds ridiculous thing to say. Is I didn't start playing until I was 16, 17. I almost fell into the game with being six foot eight at 15 and could have a scrap, you know, where the game was a little bit old school when I started playing. So for me to finish the game and probably more, the longer that I'm out of the game now, the more I am kind of missing it. But initially when I finished, it almost felt like a relief. You know, the pressure really told on me to be able to perform. To be able to transition. My wife was pregnant with twins at the time. You know, we'd moved about an hour and a half away from where we were training because we were embarking on our new life after rugby. So yeah, I'm I'm still in is it do you call it a danger zone? Not a danger zone. I'm still in this grey area of one understanding who I am now, who the Jim Hamilton going forward is, and transitioning into what, you know, What's going to happen next? Where I'm going to be in five years' time? And that's something where I'm on my own now. I'm 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 battling with these thoughts, with these problems on my own. Um, I'm trying different things, and yeah, it's quite nice chatting to you two about <laughs> it. Do you know what I mean? Because you don't no, get you don't get to talk about it. This you is know.
2: exactly our point. We've discussed this so many times. Yeah, you right. get to a point in your life where. You start asking questions about yourself and you're always constantly evolving, whether or not you're a sports star um, or if you just left university. There's always a different jump and a transition for, for, for men, especially, and of course, women, too. And that's the most important thing Like you say. It's a problem. Um, it's, it's, it's a change. You have to find different ways and talking about it is the first step, because you know the process, as we always discuss, is the most important thing. Like, not knowing where you're going to be in 10 years isn't necessarily a problem. Do you agree with that?
3: Yeah, I do, yeah. It's the... For me, I would never have thought about that, though, until the end of my career. It wasn't something that... You know, I I didn't think 10 years in front, but for some reason now, it's like, I do think about it so much more, and something that I didn't have on my hands before was time I knew what I was doing every single day whereas now I have so much time to think I'm on my own a lot of the time and we spoke about it on our podcast about the difference of the life the biggest thing for me now is I spent all my life with a group of lads all my family and very rarely going to and from training you're on your own uh, and that was about it Mm. whereas now this new life that I'm in, the media, doing the podcast, travelling, doing different shows, I'm on my own 80% I think I've worked out of my life and that is something where it's, yeah, it's very different and sometimes it is scary, you know, because you start Mm. thinking about different things and then thinking about how you should be feeling and then, oh, I feel a bit down today, you know, "Why, why am I feeling down? And you're trying to put these things together, but you, there's when you're a player, you could go, couldn't you? You could go and speak to other lads, or you just get through and you forget anything that you're thinking, just because you're in a moment of testosterone-fueled banter, you know, training, endorphins going, you know, you've won a game, you've lost a game. There's always something going on. It's almost no time to think. No time to think. Mm-hmm. And I heard Tyson Fury actually speaking on the podcast, and mm-hmm. and and I think he said, he said that the, the, when he struggled most was when. He had time on his own when he was on his own. And, you know, that's something that I'm in now in terms of learning. You know, I'm not saying that I've got a mental health problem. I'm not saying that. I'm Mm. just saying that I can really understand and relate to people that have when they have time on their hands.
1: I think the big thing with that, which is really interesting, is that you know, our mind is programmed to keep us safe first and foremost. So it, it's it's programmed to think of the, the, the issues that we've got, the problems we've got, the threats and the challenges. It's not there to think about the sun shining because it doesn't need to worry about that. It's programmed to keep us safe. So when you've got time to think, it's churning out, we need to sort this out, we've got to do that, we've got to do this. And suddenly all those thoughts are coming to you, and you're like, oh, God, I've got all these issues I didn't think about before. Whereas when you don't have time to think, your mind couldn't almost get into that stuff. Um, so it's only natural. You know, I think they say something like, of our thoughts that we have are negative because it's it's trying to keep us safe. Um, So it kind of makes a lot more sense. You know, we haven't got time to think. Well, you haven't got all the the negativity coming in. Mm. You're just getting on with it all. When you're sitting there, your mind's like, right, what have we got to do to make everything safe? Yeah.
2: And I think that goes in in line with our thoughts on having a purpose and having um, the self-respect that comes with having a purpose and trying to find your thing. And I, I genuinely believe, this is my theory, that we have an abundance of things that we can all do and like you did you latched on to rugby and you did that for a career that was your purpose that was your daily routine that's what you had to do, start middle and an end, and now you're in that period, and I've been through it 100%, I think my father when he retired from the police force, went through it, and I think every person in the entire world goes through it at different stages, especially now, these days, because of we're going to be living a lot longer working a lot longer, doing different jobs always trying to find and readjust to a new purpose, that's where you are now, it's just trying to work out what your thing is
3: Of course, and you know, you spoke about your, your dad there, my dad was in the in, in the forces for 20-odd years, and I mentioned, you know, me and my dad don't have much of a relationship. He was an old-school army soldier, um, went to the Falklands, went to the Gulf War. Mum and dad divorced in 91, uh, which was right. in, in the middle of the Gulf War, and he retired from the army and got a job working for British Telecom over, over in Northern Ireland, and we started to build a bit of a relationship after he'd come out of the army. He, he'd had a tough time. He had friends that had died in the military. His mum and dad died at a very early age. So me and my dad had a very cold, and not what you'd expect, not what I have with my, with my kids. So we tried to build a little bit of a relationship after he came out of the army and I was playing rugby. And I could see there was something massively missing within him. He was working at British Telecom. He'd, he'd lost a sense of purpose. And he went off the rails a little bit. He got he got involved in alcohol, and I remember he came to stay over. I was playing for Leicester at the time, which was my first club. I remember coming in, and this is a true story that I've n- never said to anyone before. But I, he was coming to stay with me. Um, I think he he wanted a little bit of company, um, and he was sleeping on my sofa at my first flat in Leicester. And I come home one day after training, and he was lying on the sofa, and I thought he was dead. And I looked at him, and his face was twice the size. He had. Two black eyes. He basically he'd been in a fight at the local British Legion pub, round the corner from my mm. my flat in Leicester. I'm like, what? Like, what's happened here? Wow. Had no idea. And he didn't open up to me at all. Next day he left, and I didn't see him for about three or four years after that. And really, really, wow. yeah. And so he off he went. Managed to get in contact with him again, and basically he couldn't carry on with. The life that he had working for British Telecom, and he'd gone and joined a security firm, an American security firm that worked out of Afghanistan and Yemen, and he'd gone on a, a training course in South Africa, and had no idea. Didn't hear of him for four or five years.
1: Wow. Not off he went. Um, it's, it's definitely a generational thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, that, it that, is. That's you know, I think we all speak about our dads in a similar way. Um, we are now taught, thank goodness, I think that actually as a man we can show love we yeah. can be open we can share emotions it's yeah. not quite you know there's still i'm no doubt the next generation are going to be much more than us but i feel like we're kind of in the in between but you know I, my dad certainly also wasn't in touch with his emotions really and i don't blame him that was that was normal to them
3: yeah of course know? and that's where again another struggle that i have is with like i'm not an overly affectionate person i'm not overly affectionate with my wife i'm not one of these guys that walk in the door, give me a cuddle, give me a kiss, but with my kids, Mm. I'm so affectionate, Mm. like kissing them all the time, hugging them, picking them up, and almost too much. Me and my wife had this discussion, but I've never had a father figure in my life to be able to say or to be able to show me how to bring up kids. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people will, will look at their dads and they'll say, right, my dad brought me up this way, I've got respect for my dad or respect for my parents or a stepfather or a father figure, which I never had, and you try and do it better or you try and do it slightly different, but they give you a foundation. And that's something that I, even now, like struggle with in terms of bringing up the kids. It's trying to find the right way to do it. So my wife leads on a lot of that.
2: Right. Yeah. Do you feel like you're, you're overcompensating for maybe the lack of love that you may have had and you're projecting that onto your, to your kids then?
3: Yeah, I think so. When my son was first born, so my first son, Jack James, he's seven now, I struggled, and I was still playing at the time. And you know, I I I was down on and off for a a while over his first year because the love that I felt for my son was I couldn't understand why, how my dad could just have gone, you know, how he's gone, and and how I I don't see my dad now. I've not seen him six or seven years, and so he's not met any of the kids. And I'm thinking how I love my kids unconditionally um is you, you can't put into words how much you love your children and how my dad doesn't have that with me you know but he was institutionalized he was in the military he had a tough life as, like i mentioned mm. his parents died and he um you know he'd seen a lot of bad things and you know i remember us going camping up in scotland when we were younger and you know he was having night terrors and stuff like that and this was you know just after the the, the gulf war yeah so i knew I knew there was issues there, you know, and, and and mental issues. And you talk about mental health. Yeah. You know, these military guys, you know, the, the stuff that they have to go through and the stuff that they've seen <coughs> is, yeah, you, you can't even quantify really, can you? No. So I feel for him in that sense. I yeah. feel for my dad in that sense that he's from the old school, never had this. If, if my dad was here, there'd be no chance, absolutely no chance he'd be talking. It's really interesting because we want to do a
2: podcast with our dads. And I think that because we are of that generation where the distance between us and our fathers and what they had, what the relationship they had with their fathers, it was completely normal not to hug your dad. Whereas we're growing up going, you know, Bill Murray does it in films and they all do it. And I want to do that myself. And like you say, I want to do that with my children. I'm going to be all over it. You know what I mean? How can't you feel that for me? And I think... For us, guys, I think it's all very similar. Our baby boomer fathers and say my father was in the police force and probably a similar attitude he had with your father. He had with his father. Similar relationship. And it all passes through. But I I genuinely believe we are possibly part of a new generation. This is why we're part of something special with the way we look at mental health of discussing it, of being better people, uh, you know, men trying to find their place in the world and, and realising that you have to be more vulnerable. And this is a very important thing because you know, to show your kids love is the most important thing. You know, we, we do this podcast out of love and it's the easiest thing to do in the, poss- in the world, isn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah, totally.
2: And I think that's... Discussing it is so important. And I don't want to ask you something too personal, but like, um, if you could have two minutes with your dad, what would you say to him?
3: um yeah (laughs) I don't know I think that and it's something that I've thought about that I don't speak about a lot um I'd ask him why he was never there that's what I'd say like I understand my mum's got her side of the story like she says that you know he he would rather go out drinking when he came back from war and whatever and I'd want to ask him straight um I'd ask him why when I invited him to come to the wedding, he didn't want to come. I don't know whether it was a case that he didn't want to see my mum because I know he loved my mum hmm. and my mum divorced him for the fact that he was never there. He was in the special forces, you know, so he was in a job where he couldn't say where he was. You know, and he was gone. He was off the grid. So I'd have that conversation with him. I don't know. I really don't know. You know, I. I'd want to see... I'd want to see how the us stood together, looking at each other. What he did, you know, whether he came in and he gave me a hug and and whatever. I'd want to give him the opportunity to say something. I do think about it a lot. I think about it every day. And mm-hmm. I spoke. And I said to my wife, I think about my dad every day, and it's sad. Like it is really sad because you only live once. Mm. And you know, if my dad passed away tomorrow, and I, I never got to speak to, speak to him again, how would I feel about that? I'd be incredibly sad. Mm. And it isn't a case, it's not a standoff, it's, you know, it's, I'm just not close to it, I don't, I don't know him, mm, yeah. you know, I, I don't know him, um, and again, you know, I look at my son, I want him to have the ultimate respect and love for me throughout the rest of, you know, throughout his his whole life, mm. and it's not okay, you know, it's that unconditional love, you know, that connection yeah. that you've got. And, uh, you know, I, I find it really interesting. Like me and my mum, for example, like my wife and a lot of friends and stuff, when they see, I don't know what you guys are like around around your your mum, if you cuddle them or, mm. or kiss them when mm. you see them. See, we don't at all. No. Really? Never, I, I don't think I've hugged my mum, <laughs> uh. you know, that I, that I can remember. We just
1: don't have that relationship. So. No, oh, me
2: and Pam love a hug. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very lucky. What about you?
1: I mean, it's something I've worked on, you know, my mum is is an incredible woman, you know, I love her hugely, but I still struggle to show it, yeah. you know, and I still, and she does, cover have two brothers, and she comes in and hugs us, and we kind of push her away a little bit, but I've got something I've worked on, I was like, get off mum, and I don't know why, because I do love her hugely, and it's something that I've I've come to realise, and I don't want it to be that way, um, so I have worked on it, because it is important to me that she knows how much I love her, Um and my dad is a slightly different one because like we've all spoken he, to him, it's, you know, it'd almost be awkward for him. If I, if I went to him, he'd be like, kind of what are you doing? We, we don't do this. Um, but I, with, with dads, I've got a philosophy that they do all, that they absolutely do love us. They just don't understand how to show it. They've never known. And I think, you know, going back to your dad and the special forces, you've got to be stripped of emotion. You can't, if you feel emotion, you can't do the job Of because what you go through, so you've got to cut all of that out. And then almost imagine showing emotion to anyone goes against everything that he's had to learn and and live through because he knows if he did do that he wouldn't be able to do his job. Of course. Um, And
3: that's what I think. That's what I think about. That's that's how I reason with it in my head. Mm. And I just think now, you know, was that life worth it to be in the situation we're in now? And maybe it's me. You know, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one that needs to, I hate saying man up, step up. You know, Mm. step up and And have that and through the experiences that I've had through playing sport you know you do reason with things better I think Mm. you know I think you do think about things maybe from an outside perspective as well as from within
2: yeah I think com- compartmentalizing is very important, especially. That's the one. That's the word. I that's love compartmentalizing. Word. It's very important, but you have to vocalize that. That's the thing. I try and do it in my head all the time, and it gets me into a squiff. Mm. So just saying it out loud helps with me. Like in a new re- new relationship, just being vocal and like with my father. Like interestingly, we're going to talk about dads. My my relationship with my father all throughout my childhood was very kind of weird because he had a very close relationship with my brother my brother was a professional swimmer and they went training all the time my dad was in the police force and like really worked at it his father didn't show him love really at all and he did what you did he threw love at my brother but in a way that he only understood by going i'm going to drive you to this game and training and i'm going to do this i'm going to be i'm going to do this it's my love Mm -hmm. you know Mm. and i and it got to a point with me emotionally when i went through a difficult time I understood finally my father's way of loving, or, or the how he'd behave, because he he, he would openly say that he had a difficult time um being a dad, didn't know how to show it, and put in love too forcefully in the wrong way, in the wrong direction, not not being able to be vocal and loving. um So after I went through my difficult time with my own personal mental health, which was depression, as such, in hindsight. I finally kind of understood my dad. Cut to us watching you doing a podcast in New Zealand last year in 2017. Um, Having a great time in New Zealand, traveling around. And our relationship now has blossomed purely because I get it. I get what his dad was like to him. I get how he behaved because of that. And I get how people behave sometimes in their own minds. And the greatest thing I think for us all, and it's very easy for me to say in my situation currently with my father, is that your parents are human beings they're not superheroes they 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 are just like us Mm. you know my my my, like i'm an idiot i'm 35 and to think if i ever have kids is, is, is mental but you know and i will be a dad one day and and everybody's winging it as such and i think that's an important thing to remember is that we all are we all are just human beings just trying to get our way through life and understanding that is is an important thing right
3: Definitely, yeah. I think
1: we're going to talk about this actually on a separate podcast. But the the, the role of childhood and the parents have in in you, in the shape that you become as a, as an adult later in life, and um, it's a separate subject. But it, but you know, we don't choose the way that we are now. You know, we, we're a product of the environment that we've grown up on, the the, the parenting we've had, everything, all the experiences we've had, all help shape us. We don't necessarily choose. I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. You just kind of live and you. I'm, this is how I am. And I think this is the, the amazing thing with mental health and the conversations around it is that we don't have to be stuck in that place. You know, mental health is, is for me, is, is the ability to adapt our mind, adapt our mental state, to change yeah. it, to become a better version so that we're not just stuck in the, the, the as a product of all the things that we have or haven't had in, in our previous existence that we had no control over. And just like physical health, um, we can change our bodies. You know, you don't have to be uh, overweight. You can go and train. Or you don't have to be really very skinny. You can go and you can put on muscle in the gym. You can change it. And our mind is the same. You there, know? Are tools there are tools for,
2: for that. And this is the thing. What does mental health mean to you as, as a... Two words put together, uh, what 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 is it to you? What does it mean personally to you?
3: I think it's the state of mind that you're in day to day, and I think mental health changes. I haven't got a, 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 you know a one liner for you. Yeah, I think that it, it is broad. I think that it is the state of mind, and for me, it's understanding my feelings. I, I, and I, I'm the same. You know, you talk about the mental health aspect. I'm the guy that even now, when I'm retired straight to the gym. Straight to the gym, get on the bike, you know, do some weights, go for a run, jump on the row machine, do a bit of boxing and yeah you feel better. But like I said, you know, I'm not doing that when I'm travelling. So for mm. me it's understanding the mental state that I'm in and being able to now talk about it. Speak to my wife, you know, chat to my friends about these these different things. But I think mental health is understanding the brain and i'm I'm speaking very superficially here mm. and not in detail, but for me it's something that I never ever ever thought about. If I could go back in time my career again, the psychology side of it, which I literally just threw away when I played because I couldn't be asked I had no idea yeah. the effect it was I played in an old school time where it was about being hard that was it. It, you know, it was a you know concussion. you got knocked out. It was about who could get back in the line and make the tackle. That was me. Mm. I want to show you. Mm. I'm that guy, and I think that I would have been a much better player. and maybe gone to the next level of, 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 and potentially played for the, the British and Irish Lions if I had that little bit more about me. And that's a regret that I have. Um, but I'm still in the process. I I, I think you you both understand the brain a lot more than me i'm kind of new to this i mentioned this when i yeah. when we spoke about it on the podcast this is something now that i'm i'm in the middle of 18 months having been out of the game um mental health staring not just me but guys that we've had on the podcast guys that i'm speaking to uh and they're all guys i haven't spoke to any women about it it, it is guys now that 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 i've chatted to about it and it's making me think it's making me think how how we can improve things how we can speak about things Again, I I go back to it. I've got four children. I want to be in a place where they're at school, at secondary school, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, as they're going up through these years, these such important years where there's so much, many more pressures now, like you mentioned, you know, the phone, social media. Yeah. It's scary. And I want to be in a position, both myself, to have experienced these, to sp- speak to people, to do stuff like this, where there's there's things in place, there's tools in place, there's an understanding. Uh, you can't, you're not embarrassed about it, because you know I, I think back and like I was down, like when I played and stuff like that, when I didn't play very well and and, and when I was sh- suffering with injury, I never said a thing, nothing, yeah. just got on with it, you know. And they were some of my toughest days, some of my darkest days as a professional, and I just hope.
1: Well, it, things are changing now, and, and they will continue to do so. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel that? Because that's going to be a question I'm going to ask. Is there space to be sensitive in a, in a rugby environment? Is it, you can't really show vulnerability. You are—I don't mean this in a derogatory way—but you're robots there to win the game in a week-in, week-out, isn't it? That—that's that's, the—if you're not winning, then you—you you, know—you might not get selected. You might not have a job. Um, so that's that's your primary role. It's not to make sure that you're a good human being who enjoys their 40s and 50s. It's to win these games coming up. And if you're showing vulnerabilities and weakness and sensitivity, there's every chance you might not get selected next week because you're not going to fit into the mould of winning, necessarily. Yeah. Is, do you feel there is that space?
3: Don't know. Yeah, that's the difficulty. I don't, I, I don't know. If you're asking me to say honestly, I don't think so. Man. I, do, I do not think we've bridged that gap yet in such a masculine sport. I think that in rugby... They're talking about it. They're wanting to speak more about it. But it's a combat sport. You know, it's a gladiatorial game of combat, of alpha males. And, you know, you think of rugby, it's one man running at another, and the winner is the person who goes the furthest, who gets over that gain line. It's about strength, it's about power. And is there space for vulnerability? I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know, and mm. but you know,
2: th- you're human beings at the same time. Of course, and that's what's really interesting. You play as a unit; you have to have that unity. And very interestingly, when I was out in New Zealand, I was out there 12 years ago as well. And the the culture of rugby there it's there is in their DNA. It's very similar to Welsh rugby, you know, in a weird way. It's a working class; all everybody loves it as their thing. And they have obviously the the the, the Maori. Um, spirituality element to it They even take it onto the field with the hacker, and it's something I I there's a theory and I believe that their unity that's they play in, in you know in in threes and fours and all the type of stuff they play as a unit and they seem like they they telepathically speak to each other maybe it's because the Maori traditions and the religion and the and the that element of the spirituality then fused into rugby because they look after each other, they're brothers off the field, on the field. And I know that's, that's the case usually in, in British rugby, but there's this extra bond maybe there. And it's an acceptance of mental and physical health being one thing in that key religion. Maybe that's why maybe New Zealand do really well, is because of that understanding of each other on an emotional level. As well, instead of just being um, stormtroopers and robots being thrown out there, is is that you know a possibility?
3: Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. New Zealand are the best team, and they probably will continue to be so. And a large part of that DNA, Um, and when you say something's in their blood, it's in their blood. Yeah, it is, And, and you you've seen it firsthand with with the hacker, with that camaraderie, and you know rugby as a whole it is one of them games i spoke about the individuality of the game in terms of man on man you know that's just one analogy but you know the teamship that you have there the camaraderie is probably second to none on all sports yeah um you know new zealand have that whether or not they're you know because i i still think that there'll be guys in that team that are struggling with mental health right and probably haven't said anything mm. um and you know, just going back to that first point, I just think that is there room. Of course, there's room, but you look at professional sport now. I mean, we've had some swimmers and you and you, uh, Michael Phelps, yeah, being one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the other guy? The TV presenter, um,
2: Mark Foster. Mark Foster. Yeah,
3: Foster. Mark Foster. Uh, he mentioned it as well. Um, I can't think of many, many footballers. You know, which is 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 seen as a macho, a well, macho of course. sport. Yes, of course. And I think for me, it's the current crop. Players and athletes seem to come out after mm. it's when yeah. they're in it. Yeah. And
2: in in that same sense, it's it's the same as homosexuality. It feels as if it's, it's a very closeted situation. Mental health, and we're not even talking about mental illness. We're talking about mental health. Even just talking about. Maybe we should approach a training session where we have a discussion about mental health and they don't even want to discuss it because it feels like there's this huge taboo associated with it. You know, that's the fine line between mental health and mental
1: illness, isn't it? Mm, But I I do wonder if it's not really embraced because at the end of the day, it is about winning and... You know, there isn't much room for putting your arm, oh, are you okay? Oh, you're not okay. Well, let's, you know, if you're not feeling great this week, then let's just put, you know, let's make sure you're okay. And, you know, it's like, you're all right, aren't you? You know, and you're going to go out of there and you're going to hit hard, aren't you? And we're going to win the game, aren't we?
3: We had a guy, we had a prop uh, called James Johnston, uh, James Johnston, who played at Harlequins. He was a tighthead prop. So he was the number three, had to be the biggest player, strongest player on the pitch. And he signed from Harlequins to Saracens on a big deal and when he was at saracens he wasn't quite performing um didn't really work that hard was quite lazy lads got stuck into him coaches got stuck into him and saracens we as a club ended up offloading jj and jj then went to another club in the uk and since uh, worcester and then he's gone off to france to play now he plays in breve in france then he came out recently and said that he was struggling with mental health around that time. He had a, a girlfriend. I don't think he was married. He had a kid. And his and, and, and the woman left him. The woman left him. And his players, I had no idea. I had no idea any of that was going on. And it wasn't a pack mentality. It wasn't because we were being horrible. We judge players in rugby, you know, whether or not it's for Scotland, whether or not it's for Leicester, we were at Saracens at the time, on work ethic. I had no idea. I'm judging him solely on how hard he's working. And he weren't working that hard because he was suffering with mental health and not saying. And, you know, I think that's really sad.
1: Yeah. Do you think it's almost, you know, you'd almost be selected. His career would then be judged as a result because he's not necessarily mentally tough enough to hack it, people would see. Of course. You know?
3: Exactly. You know, this is why I'd love to sit here and say, Rugby sport—they've got it sorted, you know. They filled that void. They haven't, you know. I played my last season. Had a broken rib. I had two broken ribs. I was playing with copious amounts of painkillers. Um, I had a thyroid disease. I don't know if I mentioned that before. So towards the end of my career, towards the end of career, my last two or three games, I felt like crap. I felt like shit when I was playing. I was sweating, overly sweating. Yeah. Um, I had the shakes. My hair was starting to fall. And I was losing weight really quickly, and it turns out. I found out a month after I retired that I had a a, a thyroid disease. I picked up a hypothyroidism that R- I was yeah. having to play, and I I was kind of telling the coaches that I weren't feeling right. I told the performance director, told the doctor, and it was like one of them where I just got on with it. And with that disease that I've got, uh, I'm now coming into remission. Is an anxiety because it's a testosterone, it's a hormone yeah, it's based. It, is it chemical yeah, imbalance? it's because a chemical of it. imbalance, and. I'm thinking constantly when I've got this I'm like what's wrong with me what's Mm. and and part of one of the biggest symptoms and again I spoke about this before so this isn't new is the anxiety Mm. and I'm like you know why am I feeling like this you know if I I was travelling to London on the tube and when I was thinking about this anxiety it was getting even worse to Mm. the point where I was having panic attacks but I didn't know I thought I was having a heart attack Mm. I didn't know yeah so I thought I was about to die and then I was like, and so in my head, I'm not like, right, you got you got to get this together. Yeah. And I spoke to the doctor who initially diagnosed me with, with this and told him. He said, yeah, you know, these are part of the symptoms. We can give you some um, anti anxiety pills for it. And I spoke about it on the podcast that we did. And I had a specialist get, get in contact with me up in Scotland, uh, and I went up to see him. And he said the levels of of the you know the toxins in my blood were at a level that he'd never seen. And he was a specialist in this. One of it would have been my size because I'm six foot eight and 19 stone. And the other part of it was that I was an athlete and the toxins had to be that overwhelming for them to come out. Yeah, And that's why. And he said, he said like, you know, he said he could have died of a heart attack. Wow. It was that's that bad. insane. Yeah.
2: Well, that's the thing. I think uh, specifically medically now in that situation, a young man could be anxious and feeling this emotion. And because of the stigma attached to mental health and mental illness, want, would want to suppress that. But with that is actually a medical condition that you can just put your finger on and say, here's here's the pills, this, this is the remission time, and this is how long it's going to take. So many men and women will be just pushing that down, which is, you could die because of it. Yeah. You know, that's that's beyond... Uh, what we usually talk about that's, that's that's a serious medical situation and this is
1: why we, we need to talk about it but um on that can i just yeah. say i mean did you feel when you were feeling like that were you thinking oh god you know what the lad's going to make of this what the the coach is not going to pick me now am i going to not be able to, because i'm finished? do i need to is it worth my while telling the guys can i just battle it through and not tell anyone and get on with it it got
3: to it, it got to a stage where i had to say something yeah. because my performance was that yeah it had, had gone off the boil that much that I had to say something, but yeah, like it's... And again, I am cut a little bit more from the old school cloth uh, yeah. because that's how I was brought up in playing rugby in terms of you you just crack on. Yeah. And in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done because there's a bitterness a little bit inside of me that says I probably should have said that I'm not quite right yeah. on a number of occasions. And Saracens are probably the best club in terms of player welfare and player support. mm it's, it, it was a personal thing mm. you know and it, it's about changing the mold now isn't it this this is what yeah. we're saying because you know you look through different teams and, and joe marl has recently retired from mm. international rugby and you know we just want to make sure that you know he's okay mm. you know is, is there more to it you know he's a masculine man again you know he's mm. knocked about with a mohican he's got tattoos mm. is it doesn't matter what you look like you know mm. the, the Everyone's thinking different things. Everyone feels something different. And again, I'll say it again. I just don't think we're quite at the stage yet. In sport, I think everyone yeah. will agree that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, there's, that the things aren't in place. Um, it's become more prevalent, though, really, the mental health side of things. Yeah. How long has it been, yeah. guys? How long has it been, would you
1: say? Oh, God. A, what, co- a, a couple that, of years. That <coughs> mental health has started to. Be more spoken about it's more spoken about so, that there's a one of the big things i think is these stats that come into you know, social media exposes things and there's all these stats and three quarters of, of suicides in this country are, are men you know, so that's become a big thing. Suddenly it's highlighted and mm-hmm. men are realising, shit, we can't ignore this anymore. This is black and white. Men are dying and they're not talking about it. You know, and the fact there was Dan Vickerman who international rugby player was a year or two ago who, um, Australian, uh, lived a happy life and the- no one knew. had, a, had an Two idea kids. Two kids found at home. You know, n- not a clue. Yeah. And these kind of things are coming out now and it's like people realise however alpha you are, how, however... however closed off you are to your emotions, you can't deny that these stats are happening and it's extremely sad and not right and one thing I think that we can do to to address it at the very basic beginning is having conversations like this where it's spoken about and it's not frowned upon and it's letting people know that hey, none of us are perfect you know, and it's okay that we say this is going on and that's going on and and that's actually being the the stronger man in in accepting it, admitting it, saying hey, I want to move on from this, I don't want to stay in this place I want to grow so I think it is these stats being shared and people understanding. It is now coming alive. You know, conversations it, it's, it's are it's happening. It's very early stages it still, is. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah.
2: We feel like we're just starting to embark on this mental health, especially with men. Yeah. I think where, where men are now in, in the world right now, it's talked about a lot more because it's, it's hap- happening. 84 men die a week because of suicide. Mm. and that's that's a fact and that's that's absolutely it's crazy. horrendous it's isn't crazy. it mm. it's it's, it's, a, it's an
1: eye opener but it's actually what, in following what you're saying as well you know i've got I've, on my blog i'm very open and i'm very vulnerable in, in in you know saying i'm not perfect and this thing's going on i have never suffered from depression anxiety is, is is always there not always there, but I felt it um but you know in sharing and being open and writing about these things, I am aware that some people I know think I'm having a breakdown. You know, going, what's wrong? <laughs> and it's like, I'm really not having a breakdown. I'm just being honest. You know, yeah. vulnerability is being real that, you know, people want to live this this perceived perfect life and everything's great. And if I, you know, no one wants to be the Debbie Downer. No one wants to say, How are you doing? Oh, I'm not great at the moment. It's like, Oh, well, I don't want to talk to you then. Yeah. And actually, you know, the, the sooner we realize that none of us are perfect, everyone has days where they're struggling, everyone suffers from anxiety sometimes, you know, these things are natural sooner we can actually, this is a healthy conversation to have rather than, oh god avoid him, he's a bit down at the moment or avoid her, then we can all get to a better place and have more real and natural conversations. It's
3: trying to get it out of people isn't it, I've got a friend Mm. um, a good friend of mine who is suffering from mental health Um, from the outside again seems like he's got the perfect job, works in Formula One um, and it was actually his boss who got in contact with me and He's suffering from mental health. He's depression, bipolar, and I'm not a doctor, so I can't diagnose that he's got these issues. But getting him to talk is impossible. Mm. He will not talk, really, at all. And for me, it's what? What do you do? Mm. It's you know, I I don't know what to do. Well, yeah, that's about that. You know, I spoke to his parents.
2: The awareness uh, for people around people that are suffering. That needs to be a lot better because we we can all be more vigilant in a way. Like, you're trying your best, but you need to know the information. Yeah, You need to know what to say and how to say this. You you probably know more about this than me, Ben.
1: Well, I think the big thing, the reason we don't share, the reason we don't talk about things is because we carry shame. So we're, we're embarrassed, basically. And if we think if we say something, people are going to judge us and go, oh, God, you know, that and that. So actually, you know, just in having these conversations and letting people know it's normal. It's natural. You know, you're not the only one with suffering from depression. You're not the only one. Blah 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 blah. blah. It gives people a bit more license. It's not shameful. You know, it's it's really not shameful to have things going on. Um, but but in the military,
3: if in the special forces, if you say that you're suffering from mental health, you get struck off. Yeah.
1: Well, there you go. And this they, is they, yeah. This is the difficulty, and 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 that's where I'm alluding to with rugby as well. It's it's you know there are some professions out there where it's pretty important you don't have these things because you're not going to perform in the way that's needed. Um, so I can see why it's totally prevalent. You know, your dad going through his career, rugby players, you've got to win. You know, and I, there can't be anything wrong with you, you know, because that yeah. might mean we've got less chance of winning in that moment. Yeah. So, well, it's
2: my industry. Um, TV is actively encouraged to be a little bit mad. Constantly, <laughs> that's what it is. Is if it's a creative industry, and you'll be in this world now after rugby, you're allowed to be a bit nuts, or, yeah. you know, quote unquote nuts. But it's that's just the way it is. Where you know you have musicians, some of the best musicians in the world, you know, were just allowed to go off the rails because they produced their best work, which was damaging. You know, it can work both ways, where you you're encouraged to be one person or, or hide in it in another way. But um, to go back on what you said where we are with um, discussing mental health and and, and, and talking about it and being open and vulnerable is, for me, the most important thing because I feel so much strength from being vulnerable. Like, I went through it. I, I did the whole blocking it all up I don't think anything's wrong I told my girlfriend I was going to the doctors because I had a skin complaint and I was then going to the doctors and then bolting it going everything will be fine this will just wash off when I go on holiday then it didn't and then it all led into one big pile of crap really for me because I kept it bottled up and then after sharing it, it came to the surface and I went through a difficult time because then I, I talked about it and it came back. I could smell the smells of the day that I nearly killed myself and all that type of stuff. But after sharing that truth, truth, I've never felt, quote unquote, stronger because of my vulnerability. And that's the, that's the, the secret as such. This is why we want to do this podcast. This is why this conversation is super important is because after a difficult time, after... Um, the hardship, when you do finally speak the truth, the truth genuinely does set you free. And therefore, you're you're a better person for it. So going back to sport, if there is a way of just getting in right early, when you first started when you were 18, 19, discussing how you all feel just in case you could preempt any sort of pent-up mental, ill mental health or anxiety, depression, etc., would be the better the sport would be better off for it. Every sort of industry would be better off for it. Being vulnerable from a very early on instead of just waiting for it to get really bad, if you know what I mean. The truth sets you free. Of course. Mm. I think
3: that having the profile of of guys, you know, I'm obviously here as a bloke, talking about the vulnerabilities. Obviously, Johnny Wilkinson come out after. Mm. I just think how powerful it would have been if he spoke about it when he was still playing, you know, for young lads to be able to have and it, even though that he's come out now and spoke about it, it's still it's still incredibly powerful. Tyson Fury is another one, yeah. ra- ra- raising awareness. A guy who's six foot eight, he's a boxer. You know, he's brash. He's you know your typical alpha what, male. Tra-
2: traveling uh, family background as of well, course. especially that community. Of he's very tight knit. Of you course, know?
3: He's, he's done a very brave thing there. Yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that there's got to be other guys out there, high profile that, that 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 can help. Yeah, help this and women, of course.
2: No, of course. Of course. Um, Well, Davina was wonderful. We spoke to her and and, and her fascination with us as guys talking about it was wonderful because I think uh, it's just within women to to maybe discuss their emotions a bit more because of the social acceptance of that. And whether that's because of magazines or films or wherever, we are at the stage where it feels like we're coming out like this this closeted uh, pent up shame like what i think homosexuality possibly at, is it's still going through in many parts of the world and many parts of the uk it feels like we are coming out after we've left the sport yeah. it, which is it, which is absolutely ridiculous isn't it yeah it is
3: yeah it is yeah and again i'm still going through the processes of my mental health and my mental state every day and now it's become more prevalent i i do think i do think you know actually How am I feeling today? Because again, what I do um, and my persona, and and doing the podcast and doing the media is he's outgoing, loves a laugh. But I have down days. Mm. You know, I have down days. Am I depressed? No, I, I wouldn't say that I'm depressed, but I'm down. And I think it's differ different how do you say it? Di- Differentiated. There you go. You know, you're yeah. Well, <laughs> there's there's vulnerability could, right there. There you go. I,
1: I've shown <laughs> it let all me
2: there.
3: Carpentalized.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Carpentalizes car, it. Car park karaoke.
3: <laughs> and it's and it and it's it, it's having that. And again. When I'm on my own all the time, and you know, I was down today, and I'm 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 not saying that I don't know why. I, I you know yesterday I felt great, and then today I just didn't feel like I did yesterday. And it you know is it something that I ate? You know, I, I thought I slept well last night. I did a bit of training this morning.
1: Um, you knew you had to come and speak to a couple of weirdos. <laughs> How did you feel
2: about this today? About talking possibly the possibility of you opening up and sharing your emotions on, on a broadcast? How did you
3: feel? Um, a little bit nervous. Um, I think more for the fact that my education around mental health is probably not
1: where I think it should be. So, you know, I, I think... Well, just on that point, sorry to interrupt, now, Just you've never had any edu- education. Why, why would it be? Of any course. Good? No one's ever
3: told you anything. Of course. And that's what I thought. I thought, well, I'm going to come in here. There's no point me saying something, one, that isn't true. And secondly, there's no problem with me not understanding no. fully about it. And no. I do feel very lucky as well. I feel lucky that we, uh, I, have a platform to be able to speak about stuff. Mm. I think the the big challenge will be for for the men and women out there who maybe don't have a platform, you know, who are working in a tough job, yeah. maybe the family life is is, is not good. They've got money problems. And I think that these are the people that need to be reached out to the most and probably need the most support. It's worth saying as well that, When we speak about these things, and it's we've got a platform, like I just mentioned Mm. there. But if anyone wants to speak to me or speak to you guys about mental health, I think that that is something that as guys, yeah, um, we're willing to do. Mm. I I think that's the big thing. I think that you have this persona, you know, in TV, yeah, in the gym, Mm. you know, ripped up to shreds, Mm -hmm. good looking (laughs) bloke. I was talking about myself, (laughs) no, I wasn't, you know, you're playing rugby, but you know, if someone came up to me in the street and said, heard what you said about that i'm struggling you know i'd be the first to put my arm around them and say let's go and talk you know give me give me your number and let's talk about it because it's a dangerous world we're living you know and i can see that as much as i don't know the stats and details about mental health I I know that it's a big problem so I think it's worth saying that that if people are listening and they want to reach out you're absolutely
2: right for saying that and thank you for saying that because I think a lot of people I do a lot of shout outs on Twitter trying to get people engaged and I genuinely mean it when I say if you see me in a shopping centre and you want to talk to me this is my favorite subject. This is what I want to talk about, and we should always be like that. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, if we say something and we want you to interact, just mm. just ask. Yeah, yeah please d- do. Slide into mm. my DMs and ask me about mental health. Happily talk to you about it
1: mm. at any given time. Same for you, Ben. Mm, absolutely. No, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I love this. But sound, you're a trained coach, anyway. I'm a trained coach. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 my job, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it matters to me. This, this this is powerful, and I love having these conversations. And I like I love vulnerability when someone opens up and shares something real about themselves to me. I'm like I'm yeah. all in on them. That's I see them, you know. I hear them. That that's bravery to me. Yeah, you know. I love that conversation. So and that's where it all starts. It's where it all starts. It? Just yeah. two chats.
2: Yeah. Um, we ask everybody that comes in, Jim, um, uh, to go back in time to a moment in their time that's significant where they could pass on some advice to that younger version of yourself. So. For me it would be probably when I was twenty eight and, and drinking two bottles of whiskey a day, I'd probably say, put the whiskey down, sir. Um, what would be a time in your life where you could go back in time and give yourself some free advice? Wow, you put me
3: on the spot here. I know, you?
2: we that's the plan.
3: I think when I played at the highest level, so around world cups around the world cup one in particular in 2011 i worried about a lot of exterior things i judged I, um and i ju- you know i judged that's probably one of my worst how would you say probably one of my worst attributes is i i, I was a, a judge of character and i always looked for the worst in people around the 2011 world cup i had a coach then that didn't rate me. And I became very judgmental and very outspoken about him amongst the group. And I was a leader in that group, a leader in the team. And I think that if I had that time again, I would probably, and if I was to advise my children or my son or, or myself, I'd say, keep your mouth closed and keep your opinion to yourself because it can have a detrimental factor on a team, on an individual. And again, we joke about on the podcast about different things, uh, and it's quite light-hearted. But I think that being as judgmental as I probably was back then, I wish I wasn't. Great answer. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's a proper deep answer as well. That that's a as very well, deep Because I do think answer. about it. Yeah, it's something that I think about. You, but
2: have you uh, tried to look at that and try and maybe forgive yourself for that?
3: Um, again, when you you know when you play professional sport. You're a very immature man, mid twenties. You know, coming into the age of thirty, that there's not a lot of life experience there. As much as you travel the world, I wish I knew what I know now. Then, you know, I, I, I wish I knew. I know hindsight's great. It really yeah. is. I am a much better man, a better human being. I am today than I was before, and having kids has has helped that. You know, my younger self was, you know, I was a poor guy growing up. I was in foster care for a while. I took everything out of my mum that my dad wasn't there. I was angry with life. I lived for going out on the piss with the lads. You know, the minute I got a big contract, I got 50 grand a year. I went out spending money, bought myself a car. I look back, if my son behaves, behaves like that, and hopefully he'll listen to this one day, <laughs> I'd be pretty disappointed, you mm. know? Um, mm. And I just think that if I had my time again, I, I just w- probably wouldn't have acted like that as well. Mm. You know? Yeah. I think that, and again, I'm not saying this, I genuinely believe it, and that's one of the reasons I've come on here, having time for people and being a good person. You know, if my son and my daughters, you know, they have an opportunity to go on and and, and be a tennis superstar or play basketball or whatever, but they're going to be a shit person with it, mm. I'd rather them be a much better person and not have a job, I really would. I think yeah. there's so much in saying of being a decent person, you know. Mm. Um, and again, my experiences have shown me that. That's
1: incredible. I really, I, I mean, it's it, it's been a real pleasure to hear you talk. It's because there is so much to you, and and you, you get a sense of this. It really matters. You know, you you're not bothered about so much of the the, the bullshit. Excuse my language, but in the materialistic stuff. You you're worried about. The people and you, and you can see in you you're here to show up as to be a good person and to and to, to help others and to that's that's living for you and i think that's a really big thing in today's world it's so much is based on success and who are you what you do that defines you actually nothing defines you more than being a, a good person you know that that's what we're about and that's if you want to feel good about yourself be a good person yeah 100 percent. you know and again looking
3: back at the kids if i see my kids doing something helping another kid being nice to someone that makes me so much prouder and happier than if he scores a goal in football. Yeah. Or if she swims a length faster than anyone in the swimming pool. And I genuinely mean that. I think that there's a lot to say. Yeah. For for being for being a good person. It's what the world needs now, is not it? Because there are yeah. some bad people out there. Yeah.
2: Compassion and kindness. It's yes. amazing. All the way. I love I really love that. All love. Of- all love, brothers. It's all hold hands. Sod that. Oh, you were going in as <laughs> I was well, going Jim? In, yeah. You were just well, going in. I was in the moment. I was in the moment. We in him in. Namaste. I was in the moment. Now, let's stick around for a cup of tea. Jim, thank you so much for coming in today and thanks for sharing your stories, mate. Thanks for having me. I thanks, really, appreciate Jim. It. really appreciate it. Cheers. Well, I hope you understand what we just went through, everybody. Thanks for listening and thank you
1: so much, Jim Hamilton, for sharing just sharing that was a special moment do you know I I, I knew I'd like Jim before listened, I've heard a lot about him and, and everything I've heard I just here's a, a guy that shows his heart and he came on and, and did exactly that and just to hear him speak was I, I've, I've got so much time for this man I yeah. loved him
2: yeah, and I, as I said in the intro to this, he epitomizes what we're trying to do. He shared, and I hope you uh, could take something from it if you were listening, because that was a guy, as you said earlier, Ben, he's six foot, what, eight? Yeah. He's a monster, Yeah. Um, full of tattoos, come from a sporting world, you know, surrounded by masculinity, and what he did then was massive, and I was incredibly brave, and, and that just goes to show that there is a lot of hope out there. And he's probably given a lot of people hope as well. And thank you so much for that, Jim.
1: You're amazing. Jim, loved it. Thank you so much. Hope you guys enjoyed listening. Um, Please rate, review and subscribe if you like us, even a teeny weeny little bit. Yeah. Uh, We are on Twitter. It's TMP Podcasts. Instagram, it's The Naked Professors. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening.